Hey, welcome to LifeCast. I'm Frankie Palermo, and today I'm with Melbourne historian Dr. Georgie Arnett, who's our guide through the history of the building you're currently staying in. So, Georgie, you and I are in front of 42 to 44 Oxford Street, Collingwood. The Life Hotel is right in front of us at 44. But what's the story behind this building at 42? Well, as you can see, Frankie, it says at the top of 42 Oxford Street, Dyson Sons & Co, manufacturers and importers. And that's because the building was built in 1889 by the Dyson family who were cordial manufacturers at this time. I can see on the front of the, the building, three large arches and some pillars coming out front and a peaked roof. Now I can see Dyson and Sons and Co, manufacturers and importers in big lettering. I guess before we delve any further into Dyson Cordial Factory and Joshua Dyson, who's the First Nations land that we're currently standing on? We're standing on Wurundjeri land and the Wurundjeri people take their name from two words in the Wurundjeri language, Warun and Jiri. Warun is a gum tree which sits along the Yarra River or the Burrurung and Jiri is the grub which is found in or near the tree. So Wurundjeri are the witchy grub people and have lived on the land where the Life Hotel is now for millennia. Are there any accessible First Nation sites in Collingwood? Frankie, you can have a look at the Collingwood Historical Society website or the Wurundjeri website for more details. Yeah, cool. So uh, we'll actually put the links to those in the episode. Georgie and I are now going to head into the parts of the old Cordial Factory that you can only access here through LifeCast. interesting how the bottom level of the, the factory is in bluestone which was used in lots of older parts of Melbourne or when I say older I mean that the British first colonised and then above that and at the back they've used bricks in between so that may have been partly because they did a renovation in the 1920s and they may have added these bricks at that point. So was like all of this quite common to use back then? Yeah, bluestone was common. It was it was difficult to use and it was expensive, but it was solid, and it's, it's obviously stands the test mm. of time, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> right now, we're actually standing in the Cordial Factory, as you can see. Bit of a work of progress, but. I think they've tried to actually keep a lot of the original factory in place because it is heritage listed. You can actually see where maybe the old staircase used to lead to the top floor. That's great. I mean, it was used as a factory for at least 50 years. It started out as a cordial factory, but then it became a 
a factory that produced sauces and marmalades and jams, etc. So presumably they need a different equipment for those things. Mm. Do you know, like, were cordial factories, like, super popular back in the day? I don't know if they were super popular. Maybe not as popular as beer, for instance. (laughs) But there is an interesting history attached to cordial at this time. So the factory was first built in 1889. And around that time, Joshua Dyson got the licence for Prescott's West Indian Lime Cordial. So it sort of had this exotic feel. Lime cordial would have been really quite exotic for people because limes would have been hard to get. It was also the time, though, when the temperance movement was exploding and becoming quite a popular movement in Melbourne and throughout the English-speaking world. And if you don't know, temperance movement was a movement mainly led by churches, Protestant churches advocating abstinence from alcohol. And so they encourage people to drink other things like cordial. And so Prescott's Lime Cordial was an alternative to drinking alcohol. Given that, like, in this time now, there was this huge push for things that weren't alcoholic, what were the different kinds of cordials that were being made? They also made lemon and raspberry cordial, but all the cordials were basically sugar. So to us today, this seems quite strange that it would have been a health-giving drink, but it also had, of course, citrus acid in there, so it was believed that it could ward off scurvy because that was a serious Mm. risk for people in Melbourne at that time who didn't get a lot of fresh fruit and vegetables. Yeah, so I guess just jumping on that, you mentioned scurvy. Are there any other health qualities that they sort of came with or maybe proclaimed? There were lots of qualities that they proclaimed (laughs) in their advertising. A 1901 advertisement that I found of Prescott's Parramatta Lime Cordial claimed that during the summer a cool drink that is both healthful and refreshing is much sought after. Yeah, it's uh, good to know that advertising back then was still a load of BS. Shall we head to another part of the factory? Yeah, sounds good. So we're looking at some more bluestone underground now mm-hmm. and it looks like it's been abridged with cement in between over the years and steel reinforcements more recently. What do you think this potentially could have been used for? Mm, I don't know exactly, but I'm going to guess that it was used for storing the cordial and the sauces and the marmalades because in the time before refrigeration, that would have been a major concern for a manufacturer who was producing very large quantities at times. How many members of the Dyson family were involved in cordial making? Well, I think a number of them were, and the 10th son in particular, John, took over the business, which is interesting that it was the 10th son because usually it was the older sons. But he was destined to do this from his birth. He was named John Prescott Dyson, and Prescott was in honour of the licence they had for Prescott's lime juice. So he did take over the business and then he was the one who actually built this factory because by then 
his father had died. So it was just a, a year or so earlier, Joshua died and John had this factory built. And it was actually on the site of his home that he had lived in with his wife, Mary. In 1880, John married Mary Ann Manser and they lived in a home on the site of the factory where we are now. They had five children in that home and then in 1889, or a few years earlier, began constructing this factory. So by the sounds of it, John was the star youngest child who kind of got everything. I know what that's like. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> So, how far afield did their cordials travel? Well, they travelled a long way. They had an order, a very large order, for cordials from Queensland, New South Wales and even India. So 15 heavily laden lorries were needed to transport that order to those places at that time. So that was 1906. And then in the years after that, they had a couple of other big orders. One other thing I should mention is that not long after they established this factory here, they were able to produce cordial in such large quantities that it became very commercially profitable for John Dyson and Mary, and they moved from Collingwood to the up-and-coming suburb of Clifton Hill. So when you book into the Life Hotel, you now know that this site has a long history and a much bigger story to tell than the Collingwood you see around you today. We encourage you to go out and explore the streets, laneways, buildings and businesses. Big thank you to Dr Georgie Arnett from Melbourne University for amazing insights. I'm Frankie Palermo and you've been listening to LifeCast. Cast.